Welcome back, everybody, to Conversion to Christ podcast, where we dive into many different subjects about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, we have an awesome episode lined up for you, but before we do that, each episode that we film and record goes up on Spotify, Spotify for Podcasters, Apple Podcasts, and Facebook and YouTube. Let's get into this next episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to Conversion to Christ podcast. Today, we have an awesome episode planned for you. We have a guy named Noah. What's your, na- what's your last name again? What? Wood. Sorry. I'm really yeah. bad with names. I'm really bad with names. But today, um, we have an op- awesome episode. He reached out to me, I don't know, like two weeks ago, maybe. Or yeah, I think around like two weeks ago um, and said he'd like to share his conversion story. And I won't spoil about his conversion story, but I'm really excited to hear um, his story. And I'm really sick today, everybody. So we were going to have an in-person podcast, but I told him, I was like, Hey, let's just do zoom, man. I don't want to get you sick and I don't feel really good. So, okay. Well, let's just like go right into your conversion story. Um, and kind of share why you feel you want to share this, why you felt kind of prompted. You want to share your story. Um, and you can just start from when you were young, but also, like I said, the reason you want to kind of share. Right. Um, well, kind of like mega mind, it all started the day of my birth, right? <laughs> um, I, I was born into the church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, I was born in Utah, uh, Southern Utah, Cedar City, you know, pioneer stock, the whole kit and caboodle. I'm very, very run of the mill, I've felt like, which I don't think is a bad thing, but it's just kind of like my culture is Utah culture. You know, I, I uh, baptized at eight. I knew ever since I could talk that I wanted to serve a mission you know I was I was raised with missionary culture with church culture and um so I I just I grew up ready to be be that force in the world of being a missionary being a member of the church uh raising a family in the church you know all of, all the good stuff you're kind of you, everything from from primary on you know you just I've always been familiar with it. So my my conversion story isn't in the sense of, you know, you have a lot of people on here that converted from being evangelical or, you know, Baptist or something like that. But my conversion story is kind of in a different the term of conversion, different sense of um kind of coming closer to Christ, right? That's that's kind of the point. So I didn't need to change religion or or you know, change my mindset, but I I struggled as I got older to feel like I had a conversion story, like I like there was something to come closer to. So I um I I was born in Utah, grew up in, in Utah for not grew up, I was there for about six years, moved to California, and I was around a lot less members of the church. And um I I lived in San Diego and it was it was a great, great place. I loved living there. I ended up when I was 14, we moved back to Utah. We were there for two years, moved back to San Diego for two years, moved back to Utah, and I've been here for three years now. So my life is very, you know, still looks very Utah. Yeah. Um, but I I was I was always the kid that it was like, oh, he's he's gonna serve a mission, he's gonna have hundred baptisms in (laughs) somewhere in South America. Yeah. I've always I don't know why I looked that part or whatever, but I've been told that ever since I was you know, nine years old or whatever, people, people are saying, oh, you're, you're the, you're going to be the best missionary and things like that. That's awesome. And so like that, that looks really good on paper. You know, you want to be told like, oh yeah, your testimony is so strong, but like, I know it sounds weird saying it, you know, <laughs> you're like, yeah, yeah. oh man, I, you know, I have the strongest testimony around. Like, I don't think that, um, but just like for context, when I was eight years old, I read the book of Mormon all the way through for my first time before I was baptized. Wow. And it was just like, a thing I wanted to do, you know, I, part of it was in our other awards, I'd seen that if kids read the book of Mormon all the way through, they got like a sculpture or something. And I was like, I want one of those. And so when I was eight years old, I read the whole book of Mormon. I knew it was true and I got baptized. So I've always, I've always loved the church. I've always had it as a part of my life. I've always, I've always treasured my testimony. I've always wanted to be a missionary. I've always, always loved Jesus Christ. I've always loved the plan of salvation, you know, learning about God's plan for each and every one of us um and i i remember multiple times in my life as as a as a young as a young man you know in scouts or whatever bishops and like priestly are saying to me, oh you're gonna be a bishop one day and i was like why would you ever wish that on me <laughs> like, <what did laughs> I do? but it was just like they were like oh man Noah, you're so righteous and you know and, yeah and I, I i don't want to sound like oh you know boo who 
but it was just it was hard to feel like I had a conversion story because I felt like my whole life was just kind of like I have it it's there yeah and I, I wanted I wanted that feeling of you know I I'd, I'd even heard in in church or conference or whatever of like other people that grew up in the gospel saying like oh well yeah I grew up in the church but like this is my conversion story and I never had that I, st- I still felt like my conversion story didn't exist like there was no need for a conversion yeah um and it, it was just it was like am i taking it for granted am i taking the the church for granted am i taking the gospel for granted you know because conversion is about changing who you are conversion to christ means changing for christ changing more like him changing the way you live and all these things and so i was like what how do i how do i convert to christ so i i, I you know fast forward i don't want to give you my whole childhood <laughs> but fast forward to my senior year of high school and it's you know it's time for mission papers and uh, my family was very supportive of me but since i was kind of having some internal doubt it started to feel like they were pushing things you know i i, I was at a point in my life where um i i was i wasn't like questioning the church or anything but i was just kind of questioning my future and like what i needed and i think it's just because like when you're looking down that hallway you're looking down that corridor and you know the next step is like you're moving out of the house, so you're going on a mission. Are you you know like what what's next? And um, for context, my birthday's in March, so it's like at the end of the towards the end of the school year. Paperwork should you know my mission paperwork was supposed to be started in March or April, and then you know you get your call and you leave in July, yeah, or whatever. And so for me, um, I set a goal with my family that I was going to turn in my mission papers before I turned eighteen, or like start on them or something like that and it just kind of became really like daunting on me and i didn't want to do it and um when i didn't have my mission work or my mission paperwork filled out on the day that i started with my dad i was still working on him i was still working on him but i hadn't turned in yet and he was like hey are you still going on a mission and i was like yeah yeah <laughs> it's just i i just haven't turned him in yet and um part of me was kind of saying no if i wait until april then maybe i'll get my call in september or or whatever you know maybe i can just do college first and those still weren't things at the front of my mind but it was you know still just something that was like kind of emanating up there did you feel a lot of pressure like to be this like i'm like to be this like 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 perfect mormon boy because of (laughs) what you've been told like your whole life like oh like you're gonna be a bishop you have amazing testimony like you're gonna go on a mission baptize 100 people you know what i mean like yeah more more or less yes i actually 100 percent yes i'm (laughs) i'm the oldest son in my you know i'm the i'm the oldest and of four boys and so my parents have always been like we're raising four missionaries you know we we have four mission you know yeah some people be like oh you have three boys two girls we instead of saying four boys sometimes the parents will just say we have four missionaries um as the oldest yeah i i definitely i'm i'm setting setting the example i'm lighting the path i'm leading the way and i think that um everything was in good intentions you know for my my dad to be like hey are you you know are we still working on this but when you're set like when you're when you're there and you're like kind of thinking about all the stuff that's going down like do i want to to you know do i do i want to turn in my paper do i want to uh, you know, receive my, in my endowments. Do I want to learn a new lane? You know, just thing like that yeah. where you start to kind of be like, I, you know, don't push me. Don't, you know, you're, you're kind of like a little bit touchier, I guess. And For so sure. that's kind of how I felt. And, um, so I, I, and there were like some other hangups that ended up not being my fault of why my paperwork wasn't turned in in, in March, just like, um, I think there were like vaccine things and stuff, you know? So it just yeah. kind of was like, I can't yet. <laughs> like yeah, I'm yeah. Still working on it. Hands off. Um, but I, I, um, it was just something that was in my mind where I, I, my biggest goal in life, my biggest strive is to be, be a father, be a dad, be a husband. All that I've ever wanted is like leading me towards like kind of that eternal family path. And yeah. so in my head, I was like, what if I just got married instead? You know, what if I just, didn't serve the mission because the mission isn't a saving ordinance what if i just you know what if i met someone and what you know i went to college or something like that and so i just had all these questions of like what to do what if i wait a year to go on a mission what if it's not right for me to go at 18 things like that um i'm definitely an overthinker 
And I just kind of was preparing myself for like, there could be options or at this point, I kind of believed that like, there's one path. That's kind of where my, my head was. And so in my mind, I was like, please don't let me make the wrong choice. If I'm not supposed to go on a mission yet, I don't want to go on a mission right now. If I'm not supposed to go on a mission, I'm supposed to get married. I want to get married right now. You know, like yeah. kind of those things. And so I, I, um, I had a really awesome seminary teacher that year. And he told us to go into general conference. You know, um, we, it, was, it was April now. So we were getting ready to hear from all of our, all of our leaders, the prophet and the apostles and everything. Getting ready to hear from them. And um, he said, I want you all to go into conference with a question in your mind. I want you to write down a question and be prepared, be, be prepared to be inspired, be prepared to receive revelation, basically. Yeah. And so my question, and I think I still have it written down somewhere, but I wrote, um, what about my future? You know, essentially, what's next? What do I do? And I kind of felt like that was just kind of a really fast way of saying, do I go on a mission? Do I get married? Do I go to college? Do I wait a year? Like, you know, like all those things. Yeah. And um, I was really shocked, really, really pleasantly surprised that the first two speakers were uh, President Russell M. Nelson and President Ballard. Both of them just talked immediately about missions. Oh, yeah. And in President Nelson's talk, he said, it is a priesthood responsibility for all worthy, able-bodied young men to go serve missions. And President Ballard followed up by talking about the blessings that he had on his mission. And his talk, I think, was titled, How My Full-Time Mission Service Prepared Me for a Lifetime of Service, or something along those lines. Yeah. And I, I had my question answered immediately. I knew I needed to go serve a mission. And the next week, all my paperwork was in. So I opened my call on, on a Sunday. It was April 24th, my dad's birthday. And that day, I had just kept hearing from people, basically like, don't let your mission call. Don't let the place determine if you go, if you still want to go. Um, all missions are good. And there were actually like two people that started telling me like, I wanted to go to Spain. And I, I got called to Spanish speaking in Arizona. And so I was like, I was really ready after hearing all these people. People are gathering at my house now. You know, it's time for me to open the call. And there's a map and, you know, you're putting in the pieces of like where you think you're going. And they're like, no, where do you think you're going? And I'm like staying there in the corner. I'm like, Mesa. I'm going to Mesa, Arizona, probably Spanish speaking, but you know, like that's, that's where I'm going. And, um, what were people saying back to you when you said that? They were like, no, no, you don't, you don't want to go to Mesa. Like <laughs> I could, I could really get into like church culture around stateside missions and stuff, but I think it's summed up perfectly in the movie, the RM yeah. where there's a bunch of missionaries, a bunch of return missionaries sitting and talking with women and they're talking about their mission experiences. And this one guy, he's got like, he's, he's white, but he's got like this accent. He's going like, I was walking through the jungles of Ecuador <laughs> and I had the machete and my companion next to me. And the next guy is like, I, you know, I, I can't remember where he, I think it might've been like Russia. You know, he's like, I was sitting there, you know, it was, it was super cool. And then the girls turn to the third guy and they're like, so where did you go on your mission? He goes, Wyoming. I served in Wyoming. And they're like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's, That's kind of how hilarious. people feel about it. I didn't. I didn't think it was a bad thing to be like. I think I'm going to Mesa. Um, but my dad served in Argentina, and so there was kind of that expectation of like, oh, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna serve in South America. Your dad served in South America. My dad had a hundred baptisms, and so yeah. like, yeah, there was pressure. Um, he was a really good missionary, and his his conversion story started just a little bit before his mission. I could get into that but basically he wasn't active growing up he was a member he had kind of a he wanted to change his life and he ended up going on a mission came home a changed man wow. and so i think that's kind of where the drive really comes in my family to serve a mission because he knows who he was and who he is and they're basically two different people and so there's you know very much like, like i i really respect my dad and and that he he knows the the value of a mission and that's why he wants us to go and i think that that's the same with the church leaders i mean president nelson didn't serve a mission but he is encouraging all able-bodied worthy young men to go i i know that he sees what's best for the members of the church and for the people of the world and what's best is having more missionaries so he can serve more people and convert more people where was i with this <laughs> i was about so, to my mission call yeah, yeah, I didn't exactly. feel bad. 
I didn't feel bad thinking I was going to Mesa, but people were like, don't sell yourself short. And I was like, I'm not. <laughs> um, and I, I opened the mission call. And like, this is where, again, it was just like dream perfect. Uh, Mormon boy opens his mission call, says Peru, you know. And this is where, like, this is just something out of a church movie. There's there's a guy there from our bishop brick in, in a different ward. He, he was now our neighbor, but in a different in a different ward than us. But we used to been in we used to be in the same ward. He was a counselor in our bishop brick. He's from Peru. And when I was a deacon, he was sitting with my with my my quorum of deacons, and he said, I feel really strongly that one of you is going to go serve the people of Peru. So he's there at my call opening and he tells my parents that he was like, I remember when Noah was 12 years old and I was sitting with the congregation, you know, with all the deacons, I, I knew one of them was going to Peru and he has family in the mission I was called to. No way. And so he was, yeah. And so, so now I'm at a point where I have my mission call. I know when I'm going, I know where I'm going and everything feels good. Cause it's like, it's set in stone. You know, I was ready. I pack up everything. I go to Provo. And um, I, I don't know how much of this I want like live so we can cut this out or whatever, but I, my companion was really hard on me. There, there are missionaries that feel like they went on a mission because if they didn't, then they were going to get kicked out of the house. Or if they didn't, then it was going to look bad for them. Or they can't date if they aren't a return missionary. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think that's the greatest reasons, but the truth is that it's one of the leading factors getting young men and young women out on missions. Is that they feel like they have to. Yeah. And I didn't feel that I had to. Did I feel like a responsibility? Yes, but I also wanted to. I go to I go to the MTC in Provo, meet my district in person, meet all the missionaries in person. And two days into the MTC, um, I got dragged into playing basketball because I, I I'm not great at it. I went because my companion wanted to, and because most of our district was there. And I take a really bad fall. I, I jumped for a rebound and this elder that is like an amazing basketball player. Like he's like the MVP of his like 2A Idaho high school yeah, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Puts his foot under mine and my foot lands and twists both ways. And oh. I felt something snapped. I felt a twang and then I felt nothing in my foot. No. And I just kind of take like a wobble step fall on the ground and then people immediately the first response was walk it off walk it off you know and i was like yeah i can't actually like, i literally <laughs> can't walk right now and i knew something was wrong but i'd never broken a bone i'd never sprained my ankle and so i didn't know just how bad it was um but we go to the the medical center i needed to, it was a friday and this part is so annoying because with like everything the way the NTC works out, like things close on Friday and like okay. they can do that because you're missionaries, you know, like you, you're not going to go to the store on Sunday. Like, you yeah. know, like, so they just like close down for the weekend, open up on Monday. So I go to get like an x-ray and it's closed. Like the NTC medic is closed. So they send me to BYU to go get x-rays at BYU. Yeah. And then they can't get that back until next Monday. So we won't hear anything for four days. The MTC doctor got a hold of it on Sunday, actually. It said, um, he told them to give him a call if they got him. And then he would call me. So he did that. He called me on Sunday, told me, your foot is broken. You broke multiple bones. And I want you to get a CAT scan tomorrow. And I was like, okay. And I got a wheelchair for that day. Um, and I... What I'm getting to here is that there were like a lot of factors for me as a missionary of like what was hard, what was good, right? Yeah. But I'm at a point where I'm having a hard time serving with my companion. He's he's difficult on me. I'm getting made fun of by the missionaries. I have a broken foot. There's you know, being being in in an, an environment where I wanted to serve with all my heart, might, might, and strength, right? Like I wanted to serve. Right? Yeah. And I'm in a wheelchair. And after one day of, of pushing me in a wheelchair, my companion told me, you have to get crutches or a scooter or something. I am not going to push you in a wheelchair. I am not doing that for you. And I was like, okay. And so we, you know, I got crutches. And then a couple of days later, I got approved for a scooter. And they said, don't let anyone ride on it. And people took it from me and they played with it. And I couldn't walk. 
I couldn't stop them. Yeah. They just took the scooter, they played with it, and it it you know, it really ticked me off that I it, it's like a, this is clearly bullying. Yeah. Oh, I was, you know, I was I was I was literally just about to say I was gonna say like it sounds like they were like bullying you. Like this sounds pretty yeah. tough. And my my mindset was just so like I was I was really upset. I I was upset that I was trying my hardest and that things were not turning out the way that I felt like they were supposed to be going. And then on top of that, my my uh, visa got lost. And they told me I had to resubmit everything. And the day that I went to go resubmit everything was the day that I broke my foot. So I had to wait more days after that. Flash forward to the to the end of my four weeks in the MTC. I am struggling with my companion. I'm struggling mentally. I'm still I'm still getting bullied. You know, I'm still getting made fun of for for not being able to walk, for wanting to be the most obedient person in the room or whatever. And I get a reassignment to and this is October, mind you. My reassignment is to Syracuse, New York, which famously gets six feet of snow in like the first week of November. Yeah. And I hate snow. I'm from California, like I said earlier. Yeah. And everything that was packed for me was for Peru. I had short sleeve shirts. I had golf pants so that I, you know, I could walk five miles yeah. in the blistering sun. I was not prepared mentally, physically, emotionally to go to Peru or to, to go to anywhere other than Peru. I was not prepared. Yeah. And so I was literally praying at that point that I would get reassigned to Mesa, Arizona. Like I was literally praying. I will go to, you know, send me somewhere warm, send me to the West coast, please. And I'll know that this is, that this is your will, that this is what's next for me. Yeah. But I, I got to the call to Syracuse and at first I wanted to cry because I was like, this is the opposite. I got the most North and most East out of anyone in my district as a reassignment. Yeah. And I was like, this isn't fair. I can't even walk. Like, how am I going to deal with snow? But I opened up the call and I, I got a really strong feeling that this was where I needed to go. I needed to go to New York just as much as I needed to go to Peru. And I, I felt that call because the truth is it doesn't matter where you go. It, it matters the people you serve. It just matters that you're out there and you're trying to serve. And so I came to that conclusion. But then two days later, I called to see the MTC president. And he told me I was going home. The CAT scan had come back, um, broke two bones. And they were worried about damage in my tendons and nerves. And there was no way for us to check that while I was in the MTC or if I was going to New York. There was no way to check that. So they sent me home. And um, I was, you know, I was livid because I was like, I'm the one that wants to go. I'm the one that wants to serve. I'm the one that, you know, I, I did because I wanted to. And I was like, I gave up everything. I, I pushed back a mission. I didn't date. I, I got ready to go serve with everything I had. And yeah. I'm going home. And so I, I got sent home after being a missionary for almost exactly a month. And I, I felt terrible. I felt that I had ruined God's plan that... He had prepared for me. He wanted me to serve a mission. I knew he wanted me to serve a mission. So I felt like it was a sin to break my foot. You know, I felt like it was a sin to get sent home, even for medical release. It wasn't, a, you know, I didn't have a worthiness problem. I, I got sent home on crutches, but it felt like it was the same thing. Yeah. I felt like if I was a good missionary, I wouldn't be going home right now. Or, you know, I, I got a blessing from my, from my zone leaders. And in the blessing, they were like, you know, it'll heal when it heals. I was upset. So I'm home, I'm struggling, can't walk. And um, I was in like the, the lowest place mentally I'd ever been. And um, I go and get an MRI. The MRI says I have terrible tendon damage, terrible ligament damage. I need surgery immediately. I'd never had surgery in my life other than, you know, wisdom tooth removal, which I got for my mission. Yeah. And I was scared. I was, I was terrified. But I, I get the surgery, and I, I can't walk at all now. You know, I'm, I'm in worse than a boot. I'm in, you know, some plaster cast basically. I can't shower, I can't stand up, I can't go to church, and I'm just, you know, I was a couch potato for a couple of weeks, and I was miserable, and I, um, I just remember like 
seeing all my other friends go out on missions, I, I started seeing, I started going to farewells to people that went to my farewell. I started, I, I saw friends go on missions that didn't have mission calls when I left. And it was upsetting because I was like, what am I doing? And I didn't tell anyone, but for a couple months, I decided, well, I tried. I'm not going back out on a mission. You know, like I, I got set apart. I did it. I have a release ticket signed by the prophet. Yeah. Like I, I did it. I, I served a mission. I, I had seen what missionaries were like. And in my head, they were 18 year old boys. I, I, I didn't want to be around that. I, I felt like kind of like the mission field was a lie. A couple of weeks go by. And I got really depressed. I got really anxious. And I got, um, I got started on LDS Family Services, which um, if you come home early from your mission, you're given six free sessions yeah. um, to, to go meet with a counselor. And so I took them up on that. And I found out there were a lot of things going on, um, you know, mentally, spiritually. It, it's all connected. When, and I heard this from a few people, but when, when something physically falls, then emotionally you start to fall and spiritually you start to fall. Now, obviously you can recover from that. But in my case where, you know, I can't walk, I can't serve a mission. I was like, well, I'm able-bodied, you know, I yeah. didn't feel worthy. It, I didn't feel like that call extended to me anymore. Um, but I started talking to the therapist and we, we got into the atonement and, and God's plan and all these things that, that I had been familiar with, like I said before. But I didn't, I didn't realize how important it was to know that Jesus Christ, he suffered for me, you know, to, to know that thousands of years before I even lived on this earth, he felt the pain of, of me breaking my foot and getting sent home for my mission. And I started to make the atonement really personal to me. And it was a new thing for me because I, I had been familiar with the atonement. I knew about the atonement and I, I hadn't preached it yet. And I missed almost every companionship study that I was supposed to have in the MTC, <laughs> as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't ready to teach it. As I was going through this hard time, one of the things that was hardest was feeling like I was alone. Everyone my age was gone. I didn't want to talk to my family about it. I didn't have friends. And so I just felt like no one could help me. Like I was completely helpless. And I would pray. And I felt like I wasn't getting an answer. And so one thing that was powerful for me was when I was talking with my counselor and he said to me, Jesus Christ, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane atoning for sins, he, he cried out to Heavenly Father. He said, you know, if, if, it, if it's possible, please let this cup pass from my lips that I might not have to drink the bitter cup. And he wasn't answered. And so what he said to me was even Jesus Christ had to go through that so that he could feel the pain so that the Son of God could feel what it's like to have an unanswered prayer. And that was really powerful for me to, to realize that Jesus Christ, he actually went through it. You know, some people, some people are like, well, yeah, I know he felt my sin. I, you know, yeah, I, I know that, you know, he, he, he knows what it, what it feels like to be an alcoholic. And you're like, yeah. but it's like, when you think about it, the reason Jesus Christ can forgive our sins is because he feels our pain. So if you fall into something that you know you shouldn't be doing, you know, why did you do it? Did you do it because you you felt alone? Because you because you felt abandoned? Like he's not going to hold that over you. He can forgive you of everything that you've done, everything you will do, because he feels for you literally. Yeah. And so, I suffered spiritually um, for months, and I, I you know there, there's a point where I was like, I'm just going to go to college. I'm not I'm not going to even try to go back out on a mission. And I came as I as I was talking to my counselor and I was talking with my parents and as I was healing, um, I knew that I needed to try to go back out on a mission. And I knew there was more for me to give. So I, I cleaned myself up. <laughs> I started walking. I had to walk six miles a day for two weeks straight before I could get clearance to go back out on my mission. Whoa. Okay. So I did that. Yeah. Um, I had to get a doctor's note and I did that. And so I got everything ready and on May and I ended up in the mission field in Syracuse, New York. And I knew that was where I needed to be. So, uh, so you know, eight months later is when I finally get there. No. I started with Elder Gubler for, he was, 
he was what they call a dying missionary. He was in his last couple transfers. So I, I served with him until he went home. And then I got another companion. Um, and he was having a hard time spiritually. And I, I helped him the best I could. And we really bonded. And um, I just felt like he needed me. And I, don't, I had been in New York for three months at that point. You know, was, when I left New York, I had been there for four months. So I was there for about three and a half months at that point. And I knew that was where I needed to go. My mission president was preparing me to go. But a part of me was like, what if I don't leave? What if I just stayed here? I'd only been in that one area and it was just a branch, but I loved the people. So the day before I left New York or left New York for Peru, I got to go into the Palmyra Temple and it was awesome. Whoa, that's way um, cool. I just had so many amazing experiences in New York. Yeah. And I go to Peru. But I just loved it. There's so much work going on in Peru. Like, you know, we had lessons all day long, and we got home at 9:30. You know, like yeah. you just go out, you walk, and you you go talk to people. And about a week to the end of the transfer, my foot started acting up. It's the same foot, and I just knew that I was it was close to the end. You know, I was I was getting there, and um, I didn't want to say anything about it. So for a couple of days, I didn't tell my companion that my foot was hurting. And uh, he started seeing me wince and like take deep, sharp breaths and that I was, I was hurting. And so he was like, Elder Wood, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And my foot just kind of hurts. And he was like, is it your injured foot? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's my injured foot. But you know, I just, my back had been hurting a couple of days before that. And I just, I had realized once I stopped complaining about it, the pain went away. So I wanted to test that with my foot. Yeah. And it wasn't working. And so uh, he was like, I think we need to talk to, to President Judy about this. Um, they tell me to go see a doctor. And luckily, we lived pretty close to like the urban zone. Yeah. And so we, we took some taxis over to the hospital, got my foot checked out. And the doctor said to me, you need to get off of your foot for a week. And he said five days. He said, for five days, you're not going to walk at all. And what we're going to do is we're going to see if you still have pain then it's tendon damage. If you don't have any pain, then it's just muscle stress. And so obviously I was hoping for muscle stress, right? Like yeah. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to sit it out. It's going to go away. Sure. My foot pain was not going away. I had rested for the five days and I was upset every day because I still felt jarring pain and it was like climbing through my leg. And, you know, I, there were days that I was falling over um, and I just hated it. I was taking, you know, painkiller, not, not like, not like deep painkiller. I had ibuprofen guys. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I was, you know, popping those a couple of times a day just popping to be them. like, I don't, yeah. Um, no, the moral story is not that I had a drug addiction. <laughs> you weren't, I was hurting some a lot. Zannies, bro. No, no, they were just they, literally, it was like, they gave me a package of stuff I'd never heard of. Yeah. And they were like, this is basically just Peruvian ibuprofen. And I was yep. like, thanks um, <laughs> yeah so yeah that's that's all that i had was like my rubber band ball that i bounced at my wall and my peruvian xanax yeah and um that you know that was getting me through the day um and then when the time came for missionaries to go out and proselyte because uh you're in the offices until 6 p.m just the dl again just was like all right one of you is staying here with elder wood and the rest of us will go so I ended up being in the offices for 12 hours a day, every day. I was just like craving work. I just wanted to do something. Yeah. And I was having a really hard time feeling like I even needed to still be out here. Um, and we were waiting to hear from the mission doctor. He had a, an appointment scheduled with the surgeon that operated on my foot to tell me basically it was going to happen. And that Sunday was a fast Sunday. Um, and I had been talking to my family a little bit, letting them know like my foot is hurting again. It's getting worse. You know, things are not looking good. I've been updating them. And so there was like a, a fast throughout my family, through my extended family. I was fasting to be healed from my foot. That I would be able to to be stronger, that I'd be able to get through it, and that I would be able to not have this issue. Um but something kind of twinged in me, like, you know, just mm, you know. And I, I realized that what I needed to pray for was that if it wasn't okay, that I would be okay with it. And there was a conference talk from the week before that um, a sister, I can never remember her name. It was the second one on Saturday, I think. 
but it was the lady that uh the sister that said uh that she had cancer and she said you know what if i what if i die oh and she yeah. felt the the response everything will be all right yeah and so then she was like well what if i live and she got the response everything will be all right and so as i'm fasting i had that really clearly in my mind what if i get sent home again everything will be all right what if i am able to stick it through everything will be all right you'll you know you'll you'll know you'll be you'll have something to do and um kind of knew i knew that i was coming home and it was less hard on me and i counted that as a miracle that i that i wasn't upset i wasn't kicking myself i was in a much better place mentally and um coming home was so hard i think coming home is hard even when you serve a full time never you know 24 months 18 months i think that can still be hard i wouldn't know but i think that's still hard yeah it is but coming home coming home early twice is is also really hard um there are missionaries that come home early for whatever reason and the, their families act like they don't they didn't serve at all and luckily my family wasn't like that i had an uncle who he told me before i went back out the second time he went home from his mission seven days into the mtc um he ended up going back out but when he when he was released his um the mission president or someone i can't remember who it was said to him it doesn't matter how long you serve what matters is that you serve and the fact that you're thinking about going back out again says everything that you need to know that you are a faithful servant of the lord he'd said that to me before i had plans to go back out um and he said i want you to know it doesn't matter how long you serve what matters is that you served you were a missionary for the church of jesus christ you were a servant of the lord you were a set apart elder and that helped a ton um since i've come home um i found a talk from jeffrey holland that says um it doesn't matter how long you serve if you served a mission at all it is counted as full to the lord and i knew that the lord accepted my sacrifice so this is this is what i want to get to because my conversion story is my mission story in a sense where i only served in field for six months but that was over a period of 16 months almost yeah since i've come home i have had so many early release missionaries reach out to me and they just say to me how do you do it how how do you feel about coming home how do you deal with the early release how do you deal with all these expectations and <laughs> It's just, it's really interesting to me that, you know, first of all, I didn't think that I would know so many missionaries coming home early. Um, but second, that they turn to me and they they know that I I understand that I that I that I will help, that I will try my best to to say something they need to hear. And um I let them know. I say, well, I I pray, I go to the temple, I fast, go to LDS services, get your six free sessions. Talk to your mission leader, talk to your to your priesthood leaders, and know that this is the plan God has for you. It doesn't matter if you serve full time. Because in your mission call, it says it's anticipated that you will serve 18 or 24 months. It is not a commandment. And um it is it is not a commandment to serve for 24 months. If you come home early service mission is a great option but it's not the only option this is why i wanted to come on the podcast uh, to share not a mission experience not a fun story but what i learned was that every missionary is in the service of god if they have their hearts in the right place they're doing what they need you know it says in the scriptures if you have a desire to serve you're called to the work if you have that desire, if you have that that yearning, if you feel like you have something to give, that is why you go on a mission. It kind of sucks that most of the story that I tell associated with my mission is my broken foot, but I've heard a lot of people tell me that it helps. That's what was hard for me, was that I 
I loved my mission. I loved every second of it. I didn't love getting sent home twice. I didn't love breaking my foot. But the hardest, the hardest part was doubting myself. The hardest part was thinking I broke God's plan. I did contrary to the plan by getting sent home, you know, and another miracle that came out of, out of my mission after I got sent home, after we heard that I had, you know, this damage in my foot was that I didn't need surgery, you know? And so, wow, that's, that's my conversion story. I have so many questions. I like so many, so many thoughts come through my should have done a hand raise or something sorry no 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 worries i i was i was grateful to wait till the end um that was that was pretty crazy i think so my first thought is that i think there's a problem in church culture that where people serve missions and they think when the mission's done they did their time like that was their time they finished it then after their mission they can kind of do whatever they want they're like okay i did my two years i did my year and a half but go ahead go ahead yeah my dad's told me stories of missionaries going home from argentina leaving their garments in the closet yeah no exactly that kind of thing right and i my this is my advice to all missionaries i say when you're when you're serving a mission learn to love your mission learn to love doing the Lord's work. Because when you get home, if you hated your whole mission and you just thought, okay, it was two hard years and it just, it sucked, but I did it. Then you're going to come home and never do missionary work again. Like you, you you never will. And that's not the purpose of a mission. And that's why I wanted to get to the point of how it's not serve a mission. And that's like the completion in life. The the goal in life is to develop a relationship with Christ and help others and right. bring others towards Christ, right? And so right. And my my current bishop, sorry, I'll cut it one more time. No, you're good, you're good. My current bishop, who he wasn't my bishop when I left, but he he was my bishop when I came home. He never served a mission. And he he's an amazing man. When I came home was he said, Well, what does a full time missionary mean? it means you're doing it for the rest of your life you know yeah you can do it for full two years like 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 we're saying right now but what's really important you know that's not full time if, if you get time off yeah so even as someone who only served in field five months i want to keep being a missionary i want to raise my family in the gospel i want to get married in the temple you know yeah. i still have a strive to grow closer to jesus christ i still have a work that i need to do i just don't need to do it in peru or you know or, or new york what i'm getting at though is like you shouldn't see your last conversion in the 24th month of your mission. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It, I believe in that so strong. I mean, that's one of the main reasons I'm actually doing the podcast is because I want to be a lifelong disciple. And here's the thing is that I, I know everyone's probably heard this, but I'll say it again. is like the mission is like an MTC for life. It's not supposed to be your mission experience. And then that's like the highlight of your life. You know what I mean? Like that's just not how it's supposed to be. I have a, I have a question for you about kind of your early stages of of the mission field. So you you wait. So this was this was what I was thinking when you were telling your story. You kind of grew up thinking like, okay, like everyone's telling you like you're gonna be this like like the LDS missionary. You're gonna be like a bishop. You have such an amazing testimony. You're the yeah. oldest of your family. You have to be an example to four younger siblings or three younger. I can't remember, but um, you three younger. Yep. Yeah. So you have to be this example. Then like you're kind of feeling pressure, like, okay, I gotta get on a mission. Your dad's like, Are you gonna go? Are you gonna go? And you're like, Yes, I like I want to. Um, and I think that when you went in, I think the other missionaries in the MTC who low-key bullied you, um, I think what's so sad to me is that they didn't know your background of of course you're gonna try to be obedient. I mean, you you wanna yeah. be, of course, in your heart, but also that ginormous pressure since you were born <laughs> to be this like outstanding missionary. So of course you're going to go in being like, I want to be a hundred percent obedient all the time. How have you been able to like, I don't even know, like maybe even how have you been able to forgive them? Like, was that hard or have you like, what has that process been like? Yeah. So actually it was, it was hard, but I, I also told myself like they were just MTC missionaries. Like, I don't think I was perfect either. Like, I think I was judging really hard to their credit. Like, yeah, I wanted to be obedient. My dad has a mantra 
he says obedience brings blessings and exact obedience brings miracles. So this is the other thing was like you have like the MTC missionary and their goofballs and they're doing all these things wrong. They get in the field, you get your trainer, you change, right? Like you're different. So my my companion who I had a hard time with in the MTC, he went out on his mission. He trained like multiple times. He was a district leader. Um, like he, he's he's doing great. He, I met him and I, I got to see him again when I got to Peru. He came into the, the offices and I just knew that I forgave him. You know, like I, I didn't hold anything against him. And so, like, it kind of might look like it as I talk about it. And like, I just honestly, I'm just trying to like recount the experience. I don't, yeah. I don't blame him because of the information he had. You know, like, yeah, he he was just just trying to get through it honestly. And I I know that like I was an MTC missionary and he was an MTC missionary. We got out in the field. You know, and he's he's just training someone in the most remote area of the Peru mission, arguably one of the hardest areas he's he's working in. Yeah. And I just knew like he's doing his best. The president trusts him. I have no reason to be like mad at him. So Yeah. I, I'm telling you that I'm so passionate about how it it doesn't matter if you have served a full time mission. What matters is your relationship with Christ. That's all that that ultimately at the end of the day, just like President Nelson, he never served a mission, but his relationship with Christ is so strong. And that's yeah, that's all that matters. <laughs> One of the best, I would assume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? And I'm so passionate about being a lifelong disciple rather than being a twenty more month twenty four month missionary. It like Yeah, yeah. It, Return like RM does not mean retired mormon you know you i don't yeah. know if you've heard that or not retired member <laughs> cool but. myself and so many people close to me have gone home from their missions early um i went home from my mission early my brother went home from his mission early my cousin went home from her mission early um, i have multiple friends who have gone home from their missions early and i didn't even know that yeah um and it's I think there's just a, a culture thing that talks about like, oh no, he's coming from his mission early. What What's wrong? Like, why can't he finish? Like, he should I, go back. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely felt that. And yeah, I I was like, I was so grateful I had the physical manifestation of crutches. And I felt like so much sympathy for missionaries that go home with, you know, mental health problems or for worthiness issues or something that, you know, like stomach issues, there are a lot of things that people can't see. And one thing that shouldn't be our first thought, but often is, is like, what's wrong with them? Yeah. And so like, I would have, I don't have anything I can hold as crutches, but I would have like crutches like here, like this on my church pew, as I'm sitting, you know, sitting there, like looking over, like, you know, my, my, my bishop sent out a text, like, or an email to the whole ward when I came home that was like, Hey, Elder Wood is home for a little bit you know healing up when i first came home and it was like it was great but i i know there are a lot of missionaries that don't have that yeah i think also i wanted to share two stories one was elder bednar came and um visited our mission and he said his biggest pet peeve of all time is when someone stands up on the pulpit and bears a testimony they're 50 years old this 50 year old bears a testimony about the strongest time he felt the spirit was his mission or goes up and bears his testimony about how his his ancestors came from you know New York or something and they were part of the pioneers and that's why he's a part of the church and he's like he he said he said this to us all he said he secretly thinks in his head well what have you been doing for the past 30 years what have you been doing your whole life then oh. that was their <laughs> story right that's not your story um or you know that was your mission but what have you been doing for 30 years i mean it's daily conversion right um and I think that story's a point itself is that it is daily conversion. But two, um, I had a uh, elder Rasband, Corm of the Twelve Apostles, uh, let's see, niece who was in my mission, and she told this story uh, to me, which has really made a big impact on me for a long time. She said that she was getting set apart to be a missionary from Elder Rasband, Corm of the Twelve Apostles, right, and. He said, why are you serving a mission? And she said, um, you know, I just want to be a good person. I want to help others. I, I, I mean, like, I believe church is true, like so many different things. And he was like, 
you know, those are, those are amazing reasons. Thank you for sharing, but you're wrong. And she was like, what? Like, what do you mean I'm wrong? Like her, her eyes, she's like, of course, if you heard that from the 12 apostles, you're like, wait, wait, what, what do you mean I'm wrong? And he said, the reason you should be serving a mission and the reason you should find your, the reason you should continue to serve a mission is because you love Jesus Christ. You love the savior. And I wanted to share that story just because that is our whole goal in this life is to develop a relationship with Christ. I mean, we could go throughout our whole lives and continue to do these works of go to the sacrament, like go to the temple, like, but if we do that just because we want a, like a, a relationship where like we input the desired blessings and we do the desired works, like we're not going to feel comfortable in Christ's presence. We're going to get there and feel like, oh, I don't even know him. It's all about developing our relationship with Christ. And that's why I bring up this because it has nothing to do with mission service. It has everything to do with our relationship with Christ. So the last thing I want to talk about was I have a strong, strong, strong belief in what exact obedience means versus strict obedience. And I really believe in this because I, I, for there are loads of missionaries who watch my podcast, but also members who need this because we should all be lifelong missionaries. Um, I do believe that exact obedience brings miracles and, and obedience brings blessings. I believe in that. I've heard that my whole life, but I'd like to hear your point of view on what I believe. I believe that love is more important than obedience just because we just follow it because, oh, I'm going to follow, I'm going to be 100% obedient just because I feel like I want to be better than others or I want to, you know, that's my duty is to be 100% obedient. Like our whole reason we should be obedient is because we love Christ. So our relationship with Christ, right? And I have such a strong testimony of love over strict obedience because the thing was, is the Pharisees, the whole reason they killed Christ was because they were so obsessed with rules and so obsessed with obedience. And Christ came in and he said, yo, like you can pull an oxen out of the ditch on Sabbath. Like stop being such, like you have a stick up your butt. You know what I mean? Like it's okay yeah, to that's like Luke three. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Like it, and Jesus said, take a stick out of your butt. You Pharisee. <laughs> like seriously, it's, it's, it's crazy to me. And Sometimes I've seen this in my mission. I saw missionaries be so obsessed with the rules that they didn't see the person right in front of them who needed help. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I I hope all missionaries who are listening to this and, and especially members and every, everyone who's listening to this, that I hope that you never let a rule or a or someone else breaking a rule or commandment allow you to not love them or not allow you to see them as a son or daughter of God. Because I saw that so much on my mission and it, and it, it, it bothered me so much. And I think the difference between strict obedience and exact obedience when it comes to following the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we throw in also mission rules and stuff like that, I think yeah. exact obedience is you trying your best because you love the Savior and you love Heavenly Father. Yes. And also yeah. accepting grace, knowing that when you do mess up, when you do mess up, you don't have to beat yourself up about it to where you become depressed and anxious because yeah. don't knock down the tower you've been building. Yeah, exactly. Like it it I think Christ, when we push away from sing as long as we can. But when we do mess up, I think he's happy. I think he's saying, look how far you came. Look how far and long you lasted without giving into the natural man. I'm proud of you. But instead, Christian culture, our culture, sometimes makes us want to just put ourselves so down in the dumps for messing up, even though we tried so hard not to. And I think also the other side of the coin of what strict obedience is, I think strict obedience is the culture of perfectionism, of denying Christ's atonement and trying to look perfect, act perfect, and then when we do sin, being so shameful about it. I think that's being strictly obedient is not accepting grace. Yeah. Um, just like you said, kind of really Satan's plan I of re- rejecting and the atonement and being of, perfect, right? Yeah. 
it reminds me of like Satan in the Garden of Eden, where you know Adam and Eve they transgress. They didn't even sin yet because they didn't know sin, but they transgress. Yeah. And the, what's the first thing he does? He's like, "You're naked." You know, like, <laughs> yeah, you, you you've sinned. Like God is coming, and you've sinned. And he wants them to feel like they are gone, you know, like, and, but what happens like Jesus Christ and, and Heavenly Father, they come and they're like, you know, we're going to give you a savior, you know, like, don't worry about it. Yeah. We know that you're not perfect. He's going to be like, hey, look, he's calling your attention to the sin. And if you call your attention to the sin, to some, to, to an imperfect being, obviously they're going to crumble under that. Yeah. So what happened next? Jesus Christ said, I've got you. I'm taking care of you. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. If we based like people's worth off of their obedience, then the Pharisees would have been amazing, <laughs> but they weren't. I mean, they, yeah. they killed Christ. So um, I think the last thing I wanted to ask you before we end, if you had to share your advice, your testimony to someone going through something similar as you, maybe bullying on the mission, maybe feeling like, you know, like things are just not going as they planned on their mission or they're struggling with anxiety and depression on their mission and they're thinking of coming home in any, in any way, what would your advice be to those um, missionaries? Or even if you have advice, advice for members, what would you say? Yeah, I would say that nothing is too much to handle without the savior. So people like to say, Oh, he will never throw more at you than you're able to take and that's not true he will never give you more than you are able to take with his help yes so if you're dealing with anxiety on the mission or if you're dealing with worthiness issues if you're dealing with thoughts of coming home wanting to come home getting a letter from your girlfriend that she's breaking up with you anything that's like you know getting bible bashed anything that's like a problem on the mission just remember yeah it feels hard it feels hard it's supposed to be hard it's not too hard, you know? And I think that that got me through a lot more than I realized. Like even up to the end of my mission, just knowing like, as long as I did it with the savior, then it made it easier. You know, first of all, you know, you're doing good. Like I, I know that, that all of us are at different points on the path, different, different points in our conversion stories, different points in the gospel. But all of us are covered by Jesus Christ's atonement. It's not an umbrella that some of us aren't standing under. You know, you can't ever walk too far away from it from to be covered. He has covered each of us individually. He's given us each our own umbrella. And that's you know, like he's he's helping us individually. And so the atonement is individual. Like you said, I think I think Jesus Christ, he's he's happy when we struggle because it does show the improvement, but it's also like he, he knew it was going to happen. And I think he's grateful that he covered it for you. I think he's grateful that he gave you the ability to repent, that he gave me the ability to repent. Because can you imagine if, if it was limited, like how nervous would be like, I don't know if he's nervous, but like, wouldn't you be upset or like sad as Jesus Christ? Like, that's the 77th time. That's the last one. You know, he <laughs> yeah. can't do any more. I can't save him. Yeah. That's not the truth. The truth is that it's the infinite atonement. So everyone in every point at every place, you know, there's a lot of everys because it literally is everyone. Yeah. Everyone is covered by the atonement. Everyone has the ability to walk with Christ and missionaries, lifelong members, converts, investigators, ex-members, all of us are loved equally by Jesus Christ. All of us have the opportunity to repent every single day. All of us have the opportunity to be forgiven every single day. And that's why I love the atonement is that I'm never too far gone and that it doesn't just apply to sin. You know, it's, yeah. the atonement is not just to forgive us of sin. It's, it's for times when we feel upset or depressed or alone or, or empty all of those are covered by the atonement. We just have to turn to him and he makes it easier. Everyone has a conversion story. And that was something I needed to learn. Like we can all turn closer to Jesus Christ. We all, we all have room to grow. And I, my heart just goes out to missionaries like you and me that came home early for 
for whatever reason, we're not second rate. You know, we're not less than. We serve full time. And anyone who served honorably, um, everyone who served and wanted to, served a full mission, and you will be rewarded for it. That's a promised blessing. Yeah. And keep going. You know, if you've come home early, if you're about to come home, you're thinking about it. If you're not having any problems at all in the mission, which is pretty rare, but just know like all those people, God loves you. Jesus Christ loves you. They see your struggles. They see your problems. Turn to them in prayer. Turn to to the Heavenly Father in prayer. And, and, you know, you will be guided. You'll be taken care of. Cool, dude. Well, we could talk for hours and hours and hours, but apparently, yeah, I know this has been fun. Thank you so much for coming on. And I'm, I'm excited to see your next, your future, see what's going to go on with you in, in your life. So, um, this has been conversion to Christ podcast. I'm super grateful. We had this opportunity to, um, hear Noah's experience and we will see you on the next episode. Bye-bye. You can say bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>